welcome back to another episode of the Rumcast. This is the podcast where we talk all things rum with the people who love and shape the category, including sometimes people all the way over across the pond in Scotland, which we'll be doing yeah. on this episode today. I'm Will Hookinga, as always, and joining me from the sunny shores of Miami is my co-host, John Gola. John, how's it going today? Hey, it's good. Uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, you saved me from having to make the dad joke this time on the entry. So that's right. Uh, we're, we're we're dad joke free in this yeah, episode. In so the intro, far. in the so intro. So far, that is. I yeah. mean, I cannot guarantee the rest of the episode will will remain <laughs> as such. But for now, we're good. So, anyways, um, yeah, I just celebrated my birthday actually. So that's right. Um, happy, I'm older than I care. Happy belated birthday! Yeah, I did thank, wish thank you. you. Happy birthday on your birthday. Um, <laughs> yes, you did. Thank you. So, yeah. But, you know, it was one thing that uh, I found interesting during my birthday. My sister, my beloved younger sister, mm -hmm. uh, she wanted to uh, host us and celebrate my birthday. And she asked okay. me, hey, what kind of cake do you want? All right. Guess what kind of cake I asked for? A rum cake. A rum cake, obviously, right? I th I don't think she was expecting this because the reaction I got was, sure, no problem. But then when we got there, she was telling me, oh, my God, I can't believe you. I have no idea how to make a rum cake, so I had to figure it out. And she's uh, giving me all kinds of crap for Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing where you receive this. the text and you're like, <laughs> because you made it open-ended and you asked, you have to respond like, sure, that's great. And then you turn over your shoulder and you're like, what the hell is a rum cake? Yeah, and what did I just get myself into? Exactly. She had to buy a bunt cake pan and so anyways did she have to buy rum too she of course she had to buy rum <laughs> i don't know she might have had some already she did not believe it or not she had to borrow some which is part of the story here so okay anyway we get to the cake part and she's been talking you know telling me she had no idea what she's doing mm -hmm. uh so we get to the cake we we dig into the cake and I have to say, it was fantastic. Nice. Like, really good. Like, one of the better ones that I've ever had. And and I'm not saying that, like, just, you know, for for shits and giggles. Like, it really, really was good. So, talk talk me through what, what exactly, what does the rum cake look like? I, I have a vague idea of what yeah. a rum cake is, but I, I honestly, I don't, I, I've what? had cakes with <laughs> rum elements. I don't know if I've had a, a literal just rum cake before like for sure. example i just i took my parents out to dinner they were in town my wife and i took them out to dinner and there was a, a dessert on the menu and it was like a strawberry shortcake of some kind but there was mm. like a rum element involved so it wasn't a rum cake but there but was had rum, rum involved in it. yeah and it, it was fantastic but so tell me what the standard rum cake what are we talking about what if i'm looking at it what are, what are the elements well let, let me caveat this first by saying i didn't make the rum cake nor if okay. i ever made one but i okay. know a rum cake because you know i've had them before in my mind what a rum cake is is it, kind of like that, uh, the bunt cake style, uh, okay. like donut, you know, hole in the middle. Right. Type of thing. Not a donut, but like a hole in the middle. And it's got that kind of fancy kind of pound cakey shape. Yeah. And, and in fact, I think it's close to what I would consider like a pound cake would be. Okay. It's a white, or it's really, it's yellow. Yellow uh, cake. On the inside, yellow cake. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then it's got a nice golden brown on the outside of where it cooked. And instead of just being like pound cake or angel food cake, it's 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 a little it's heavier than angel food cake. It's closer okay. to pound cake, but it's got this rum element to it, very present. Okay. And it's also got like sugar. I know she mentioned that in her process, she had to make a simple syrup with just okay. sugar and kind of pour that into yeah, the like cake. so like a glaze kind like, of. It's more like soaking the cake. Okay, all right. Yes, than a glaze. Again, I'm talking way out of my butt here because I don't really know. I've not done this myself, but that's, that's what I think of when I when I think of a rum cake. Is it, it's not iced, although it, I guess it could be. I mean, there's 
There's no reason why, why you couldn't ice it. Yeah, but it's it's sweet enough because sure. you've got the rum and the sugar elements already in it. So yeah, it's just just that kind of think pound cake, but with rum elements in it. So now I'm here's, liking it. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. It's not going to bowl you over. I mean, I've had so I, I have very close friends that are Jamaican from Jamaica mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in Miami, and they've given me rum cake before. Their rum cake tends to be a little bit more robust, which would make sense if they're using you know Jamaican rums that okay, are. Okay, you mean the rum part stronger. of it tends to be more robust? Correct. That's okay. what I mean. This one was a, a little lighter than those, but here's here's the the whole point of why I wanted to communicate this. She doesn't know what rum she used. Wait, how does, how does she not know? Did it come she in didn't look at just the a bottle. mystery bottle? No. So what happened was she said she she borrowed uh, what was the, the remaining, I guess, a, a cup or a cup and a half or something uh-huh. of a bottle from her father-in-law. Okay. Who had a bunch of rum, who is a rum fan, and I, I think he's listened to the show, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Hey. Um, yeah. So maybe I need to get in touch with him and see which one he's missing because so. he's he just said, sure, go ahead and take one. But so this is the thing. We don't know what rum she used. And now I'm so sad. Because well, John's sister's father-in-law, if you're listening to this, <laughs> please, <laughs> if you don't have John's phone number, just send us an email at host at rumcast.com and let us know what, what rum you lent out. Because I'm, I'm very curious to know what was used to impart that yeah. rum special flavor to this rum cake. It totally sounds like that Spaceballs joke, like, uh, who is me? Is he to you? Nobody. He's my uncle's father's roommate's cousin's son. I don't know if you know, know I that. I never got into Spaceballs. You've never seen Spaceballs? I mean, oh, come on, I've Will. seen it here and there. I just never, it, I don't know. Yeah. It never clicked for me. Oh, gosh. You know, it, that's yet your, another that's area. That's joke moment yes. for the intro. Thank you. I got it in. <laughs> um, anyway, so here's the question I wanted to ask to our community, because I'm sure there are people who are much more familiar oh, yeah. with rum cake recipes and probably have some like really good rums that they prefer to use. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, inquiring minds want to know, Will, what is the, best, the best rum, rum to use for rum cake? Yeah. And I know Jamaican is a classic one, but I'd love to know if there are others out there besides just a specific Jamaican one that people have used that they really, really enjoy, and maybe the full recipe so we can give it out on a future episode. Because that's a good call. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, message it really us on great. social media, send us an email, host at rumcast.com. Let us know what rums you're putting in your rum cake. You know, I'm trying to remember now. I'm a big British uh, baking show fan, mm, and so okay. I'm trying to remember it, if yep. they've ever done a rum cake challenge at all because i feel like rum cake is more of a british thing for some reason maybe i'm just making that up in my mind Mm. um but i don't know it just it it makes me think of that but which i'm sure it's also popular in many of the rum making nations as well but yeah anyway all that being said uh we do have a connection to the uk in this episode uh with our first interview with a scottish rum distiller. We were both very excited to do this. We talked mm-hmm. with Kit Carruthers, who is the founder and distiller for Ninefold Distillery in Scotland. And this is a distillery that I'd seen pop up again and again online and kind of little interesting things over the years. Uh, I'd read some good reviews from people like Fat Rum Pirate and other sites, and it seemed like there was some genuine rum community enthusiasm kind of bubbling up around this Scottish rum distillery. And so we thought it would be great to just check in with Kit and get the whole story on sort of his process of starting the distillery 
and you know his style of rum and mm-hmm. there, he's actually he's not the first scottish rum distiller there are a few others uh, there's there's a handful of them now i mm-hmm. think and so also getting a little window and sort of how that scene is coming together and everything but you know i think one of the things that both you and i have been interested in over the years is just these sort of newer rum communities, new rum traditions that are starting around the world. We've seen a kind of a rum revival in the U.S. We're seeing a lot of rum distilleries pop up in Europe now. Mm -hmm. Uh, It feels like a a new one every month. We've talked a lot about new rum distilleries coming to Australia and other places. So this is another episode kind of in that tradition. And I'm excited for people to hear it. Yeah. One of the most fascinating things to me, you said a rum revival. And I think that's true. And what Kit talks about is that there is a history in Scotland of yeah, some rum. We did not that know was this. Fascinating. Yeah. So really, really cool part of the interview to hear that. So yeah, I, I think it's a really awesome insight into the window of, of Scottish rum. Also, he's doing some really interesting stuff with building his own barrels. That was something yeah. I did not expect. So make sure to listen and, and get to the part about sort of the small but but growing aging program. He actually laughed when we referred to it as an aging program. I think that <laughs> made it sound a little too official, but uh, Kit's doing some really cool stuff with, with wood over there. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and take a little break and go over to the interview. here with Kit Carruthers, the founder, owner. Kit, you do a little bit of everything at Ninefold, I would imagine. You know, you're in the distillery right now. I know you were just commenting on how hot this may be the hottest rumcast interview ever recorded i think you said it's about 87 degrees fahrenheit over there right now but you're doing it anyway you're powering through you Mm -hmm. just let us know you're going to try not to curse as much as pete holland did on the podcast so that'll we'll need to maybe get like a swear counter and then we'll go back and we can do like a little ding or something every time there's there's a swear word but um thank you for being here it's really exciting this is our first time talking with a scottish rum distiller so first for the podcast welcome to the show thank you very much uh and yes i will try and keep swearing to a minimum um (laughs) but i I can't guarantee anything it's okay we don't have sponsors that we need to keep happy we don't we don't have bosses or anything like that we only have our listeners and i don't think we've ever gotten a complaint about language on the podcast before so you know it's not uh, not something yeah. to be overly cautious for. Yeah. So to start, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background. I was, I'm always interested, especially when it's a new distillery, you know, just how the person kind of got into it. And then I was really interested when I saw that you had a background in uh, what was described as geotechnical work and climate change research, which sounds fascinating on its own. And I'm sure it's a question you get a lot, but I had to ask, you know, how you went from that to starting a distillery, as I understand it, you know, you didn't necessarily have a distilling background or anything like that. So I was interested to know just where did the interest come from and how did you end up making that transition? Well, to answer, yeah, ask the first question about um, <laughs> sort of how, how I ended up doing this. It, it was a cynical, cold, hard cash decision um, <laughs> originally, <laughs> um, which is maybe not the best decision in the world because I'm, I'm still waiting on the, on the millions to come rolling in. But, sure. Um, Cont- yeah, it takes my, a little time. 
It does indeed. It does indeed. Um, so yeah, my, my journey into Rome, I get to, I, I don't know if it's typical or, or not. I, I suppose I, I hate the word, um, entrepreneur because I don't like applying it to myself. Yeah. I get I guess that. I, got a, I, I guess I got a vision in my head of what an entrepreneur is or should be. And I don't feel like I fit that mold, but I guess that, that sort of is what I am. Um, I didn't try this as a, as like a rum nerd. Um, you know, someone who's really passionate about, about rum and it, it was a category that I've been in love with for, for years and years and an opportunity came along for me just to, or I just decided, fuck it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely didn't come at it from that, that point of view. It was, um, the, the decision to, to build a rum distillery for Anne came as a, as kind of a as a way of diversifying the kind of revenue, I suppose, into a family estate. And so where I'm from in rural Dumfries and Galloway in the south of Scotland, my family have, have owned land here for this estate for about 460 years now. Yeah, I was reading that. That's um, amazing. Yeah, so my, my, my dad is uh, 13th generation Laird. Uh, wow. I'll be, I'll be the next one. So it's very, it's very traditional in terms of the estate model, it's a mixture of farmings. So we, we red town farmland here. There's forestry, so we've got woodlands that's, you know, we grow as, as crop. Um, we rent houses out, uh, cottages. Uh, we have a little holiday cottage. There's uh, fishing uh, on the river Annan, which uh, borders the, the estate. So the, these are all, you go to any, any estate in Scotland or, or in the UK, and these are very typical things to do for, for an estate. And I was looking to my, the, my future and, and my inheritance and decided that I wanted to do something a bit, a bit different. And I was quite taken with the whole idea of distilling, like craft distilling and craft brewing mm-hmm. and just, you know, small businesses doing something that's quite, quite cool, quite, and look quite kind of fun to do. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't cover it from a, a love of spirit necessarily. It's like, not, not at all. This was really a thinking of business that could work here on the estate and yeah, it was just an idea that I fancy. So, um, my, my run journey started at the point that I decided to explore building my own distillery. So yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, kind of come on, still on the journey really. Um, we are, we so are. came along with that. So yeah, I, I didn't have a, a background at all in, in distilling or hospitality or anything to do with the industry at all. Uh, like, like I said, I, I had a pre, so previous, previous, previous life. Uh, I did geotechnical engineering, uh, which I would say is quite grand. It wasn't really, it was very like finger in the air kind of thing, rather than doing complex calculations. That was, that was for proper engineers to do. Yeah. It wasn't a job that I enjoyed at, at all. And so I ended up getting out of that and going back to university to do a degree in carbon capture and storage. Okay. Uh, is climate change mitigation technology. Yeah. That was something which, which was, uh, had always interested me and thought so here's something that I could potentially make a difference doing instead of just building identical housing. Right. Housing. So you go back to school and learn to save the yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Well, um, and, and just to, you know, make sure it's not just a degree, right? You get, you got a PhD in this. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So 
there's a little bit of a crowbar there between just you know an undergrad or, or studying and you, you've you've gone a long time to school for this and and uh have the phd now so kid i'm interested in the now how you said kind of your your engineering type of background has led you to be able to understand the ways in which you can apply that to a distillery even without the you know specific distilling experience but also i'm kind of interested your 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 climate change and even carbon capture and sustainability and all of that has that also informed the way you approached making the distillery are there specific ways even that you've thought about how this applies to sustainability and other things has that married at all um yes yes no so there's a little bit of a sustainability kind of factored into the building so for example the building i'm in that i'm currently baiting alive in is um <laughs> it is a converted old building so this isn't a, a new a new building we took this is another strand of why i wanted to set up business here uh was to take buildings that had not been used for a long time mm. uh, and reuse them so so rather than yeah fresh materials brand new builds all that kind of stuff that it, it's already here so and the the philosophy behind the building was to like insulate it and double blazing in and put sort of uh, some solar panels on the roof and just make the building as warm and efficient to keep warm as possible hmm. it's so certainly it's, staying warm now yeah uh, it is definitely you've succeeded <laughs> <laughs> i have so so there's been a sustainability built in there I, I wanted to try and keep my energy use as low as possible however that's challenging particularly when you're rural actually and um, because your your energy options are quite limited and so well basically the building i was in had no power at all and we're in also there mains gas line here oh, really? we had no water no phone nothing so uh, all that had to start we had to start again on it so the distillery is run off, off electricity it's electric so as the as the general grid greens becomes greener and more sustainable there more renewable energy put into it in, in the UK, then the distillery will then follow suit. It'll become mm-hmm. you know that that way in that regard. So I'm not running, I'm not burning gas, and I'm stuck with burning gas. Uh, it, it is electric. So the, the future of the distillery, I, I want to not change my process necessarily, but I want to be able to do things in the distillery that allow me to use less energy to produce the same amount of, and that's that's really my my route to being more sustainable business it's not to try and but I, I see other small distilleries that that, that talk about you know well, we we buy all well, we're 100 renewable powers because they they pay for a particular tariff uh from a an energy supplier that says that it's 100 you know green electricity right mm-hmm. but it's not because seven about 70 percent of the electricity that goes into the grid in, in the uk is not renewably sourced mm-hmm. so you can't differentiate the electrons that come into your, in your building. <laughs> right, right, right. Wind, wind power or hydro from your gas farm. So only give me the sustainable electrons company, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Please. There's, there's, a, there's a filter just before it comes into the building. <laughs> all, the, all the crap's up there. So I, I try and I try not to talk about that side of things. I, I don't want to say like so. I, I do the same. I might be a supplier um, that's 100% renewable energy, but that's only to support that idea and that's what we want to, yeah. we want to go to uh, not i'm not kidding myself or anyone else that the electricity here is is 100 renewable although i do have solar panels so when i'm not distilling 
then I am generating enough electricity to, to run to run the building. So oh, cool. I'm probably more green than a lot of distilleries my size. My process as well. Uh, so something which I've just as in the fermenter behind me uh-huh. and has the uh, in in the three years I've been distilling fermenting distilling. I've always started every fermentation new from scratch. So it's always clean and fresh water that's right. gone into. Mm-hmm. However, the fermentation that's on at the moment, I, I took back to it. So I took what was left in the mm-hmm. up to the end of, end of a stripping run. And I used that instead of fresh water because mm-hmm. it was already hot. Uh, so I didn't, need, I didn't need to heat it, which is what I usually do. And it saves me having to use more water. So if, if this works, then that's a way that I can reduce energy use and reduce the water use. Yeah. Well. well, and that's likely going to have an impact on the flavor of right. the final product as well. Mm-hmm. So that'll be yeah. interesting to find out. Yeah, uh, yeah, indeed. So th- this is this is new for me. So I, I don't know how it's going to how it's going to turn out. But we'll um, yeah, we'll see. It's it's unlikely that this will this will replace, for example, the recipe for my uh, my hot aged you know straight yeah. bottle or running because, uh, like I said, it should should change the flavor and. However, if this works, this could be what I do for filling casks. And then it makes um, filling casks cheaper, so I'm therefore more likely to put more away than I do. Right, right, right. This is the first time you've done it? Yeah. Have you yeah. have you noticed anything different so far? And I, I, I like the smell of the fermentation? or, or <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's exciting. It's, We're witnessing this in real yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> you have to kind of pretend. Yeah, trying to smell, yeah. Away. Trying to pick, pick, <laughs> pick it up, yeah. It's, um, it does smell a bit different. It doesn't smell as sweet as it normally does. Okay. Um, hmm. And it's, it's not fermenting as quickly either. So I, I just, I basically just use the exact same recipe that I, that I would always do the exact same proportions of molasses, uh, yeast to, and nutrients and so on. So, and, and I was, that's just where I wanted to start. So I just wanted to see how that would progress. So yeah, yeah so that, that's good. If I do this again, it's going to take a little while to, to kind of dial, get that dialed in. But yeah, we'll, when, when it gets distilled next week, we'll see. We'll see what comes up. There. I was gonna. I was gonna say, how many more days until you'll be able to actually <laughs> taste it? Because I, I, we need to follow up uh, as yeah. soon as you <laughs> taste it. Because I'm curious uh, on, on your thoughts of how it compares to your your typical yeah. production process. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm hoping that I'll have distilled the spirits on Friday. Okay. Yeah, um, but I'm not sure. It's been. This, I, I was banking on the fermentation, basically finishing by tomorrow night, but it may take another day. Uh, I think to to be done, but I should I should still then have time to get it done by, or done on Friday. Awesome. So I'll, I'll hopefully get an idea then as to what it's like. But yeah, yeah. we'll we'll follow up on that for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask, you know, you you've been open about, and you already discussed it in uh, the interview so far about choosing to go into rum. You know, mostly from a business standpoint, uh, and I, I think I've heard you talk about kind of the flexibility the category offers. So once you decided to do that, I'm interested in just what was your sort of rum education process like? Did you just start trying all whatever kind of rum you could get your hands on? Did you approach it from a more technical standpoint? Did you focus on other local rum being made? What? How, how did you go through that process? So I guess my, my rum journey, I guess, probably began like and a lot of people um, do in the UK, which is that you start with what 
everyone thinks is rum, <laughs> uh, which is actually the flavored category. So yeah. Those yeah. Films. I, I was going to say you find Ian Burrell and then <laughs> it goes from there naturally. <laughs> you hunt him down. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, went, I, wish, I wish I was aware. I had been aware of Ian. Uh, <laughs> and, well, so there's more. Yeah. You go to the supermarket. Uh, so you're in the supermarket or you, I remember being in a, in a wine shop in Edinburgh and I think, yeah, some, um, I'd maybe told someone that I, I was thinking about say for almost three, they're like, oh, you should go speak to this guy in the shop. He'll, he'll sell the ice. And so I went to there, he's like, oh yeah. So he told me about some rums, but again, they're rums that now I know and, hmm. Well, You're searching they're... for the right words to say. <laughs> <laughs> we all do that a little bit, yeah. Well, let, 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 let's say the, the first premium rum I got was, um, uh, was Diplomasco. Okay. Uh, which mm-hmm. That's right. a common yeah. experience Sa- for a lot of people. Same here, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, for sure. And then after that was uh, Don Papa. Okay. Um, uh. Now, uh, Diplomasco, I had gone back to, and I, and I ended up finishing the bottle. I, I guess it's fine. It's, it's sweet. It's really sweet. But sure. I, but beyond that... Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's actually quite enjoyable um, mm-hmm. in the right context. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dog Pepper, I liked when I first drank it. Uh, and the same with like all the spice drums that I bought all the time. Even, uh, by the way, that I was never the plan. The plan was never to make spice drum at the start. My plan was always to do an unaged drums, straight, pure products. Not the best played plans of mice and men, right? <laughs> <laughs> um uh, Robert Burns, by the way. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right here. Yeah. <laughs> Off gang of glay. So, yeah, I, the stuff I liked at the time, which I guess is probably the same as a lot of people, yeah, was the like really heavily flavored, really sweetened stuff that basically you didn't really taste the rum in them at all. You're just tasting yeah. vanilla and clove and, and sugar. And so, what's been interesting for me is actually how my palate has evolved now that I make my own, my own stuff. Is to, a lot of those rums I enjoyed before, I cannot stand there. Mm-hmm. They just they just don't do it for me. But yeah, that, that's kind of where I started. Um, and I went to a, there was a rum festival in Glasgow, I think. Okay. Well, along to, and at, at the time, I, I was only aware of two Scottish rum brands. They were mm-hmm. around, uh, Dark Matter, who'd been around here for a couple of years. And uh, one which just popped up, uh, which I was really annoyed about. <laughs> to <Yeah. tell> him. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I, I told me it's really dark matter, and I'm like, I'm going to make, I'm going to sell the rum distillery, make my rum. It's going to be an unaged rum, right? Yeah. And then uh, a brand called Seawolf uh, appeared, mm. and Seawolf was a Scottish white rum. I'm like, God damn it! So, <laughs> so I and then I went to um, uh, to his rum festival and met two other new Scottish rum, uh, two or three other new Scottish rum brands. There. Hey, what the hell? It seems like yeah, a yeah, movement exactly. going on. Like, yeah. What the fuck? Someone else, is, <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> and someone else is making making Scottish rum. So yeah, that was interesting because I got to then try and see what kind of what was going on. And, and one of those guys was uh, Dirk Ross, uh, Ross Bradley, who has Sugar Hedge Rum. And so Ross is, yeah, I did basically end up. Uh, big pals with, with Russ and mm-hmm. he you know, massively to get this place set up. You know, a lot, loads and loads of lights from him. That's awesome. Um, I need someone who I still sort of tap into uh, now, now and again because he is a proper legend geek. You know, he does all the does all the reading, all the history research, all the you know, he's just 
voracious researcher, I guess, about stuff. Whereas I tend to do like, despite the fact I have a PhD, uh, I tend to just do little bits and pieces of like, I just need to find out something and I'll maybe go and ask someone or do a little bit of reading and that's just enough just to, uh-huh. and that's enough for me. I don't go any deeper into it. Well, you did six mm-hmm. years of, of yeah. uh, post, postgraduate school. So <laughs> yeah, need a break. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess I was going to say, if we didn't do enough research, like I think if I, I look at actually how prepared I was to build, to build a start making, a bit of a story, start making them. I was probably very unprepared, but in, in a way I, I think, uh, and this is me justifying my laziness mm-hmm. now, but, um, <laughs> I, I think that's just been quite good for me because I didn't come with any real preconceptions about what right. it was I needed to, to make yeah. you know, or what I was trying to make. I, I wasn't, I didn't come loving a particular style or category of drum and I was trying to, you know, do my version of it or do something like it. Uh, I kind of came with a, I, I kind of knew very vaguely what I, what I wanted to, to produce, um, which is maybe a very naive vision of what I want, I wanted to do and what kind of run to be. But then, and so I, I bought my equipment or my still anyway, based on that notion. And then the spirit that came off with it is just what comes up with, or rather what comes out of the fermenter mm-hmm. and the still is just a, a product of, you know, set of steps I, I went down. So I wasn't aiming for anything in particular, but what I've ended up with is, is pretty good. So, um, I just kind of stuck with it really. Um, and it's, it's, it's my own thing. And I, I suppose that, that my OT at, at the beginning was maybe to my advantage in that mm-hmm. I, I just do, do my own thing, do it my way and it's my own thing. Yeah. You're in the process of discovery on your own in a way. Uh, it, which is just a different way of getting to the same route. It might take a little bit more time or a little bit more, you know, thoughts in different ways, but that's uh, as valid as, you know, going in with all of this and then trying to build on something after you've done all that kind of armchair work, right? So it's it's interesting to hear and see how you're approaching it in that kind of a different way and how it's led you to where you're at. So speaking of preconceived notions here, because you mentioned that. <laughs> There is something that that we have to tackle a little bit here. I don't I don't want to spend too much time on Scotch whiskey, but it's kind of unavoidable. Like as as an American who hasn't been to Scotland, and I I feel like if you go to Scotland, like you can't throw a rock without hitting a Scotch distillery, <laughs> a whiskey distillery of some type. And so you know when we Will and I were recently talking about Mexico and about Mexican sugarcane spirits and how difficult it is to get some attention there because of the tequila and the mezcal scene kind of being equated with that country. So similar to you there in Scotland, I would think that holds for Scotch whiskey kind of dominating the mental association. So I guess the question here, and you can talk about whatever you like you know, with it, but I wonder what the conversation would look like when you tell somebody that you're doing rum here in scotland do they ever ask you like why did you decide to do rum and not whiskey and if so like how do you give the answer to that and and or are you just like tired of it and you're like because i wanted to you know like (laughs) how do you go about even talking to somebody through that uh yeah so basically every single time they asked so (laughs) yeah why are you doing rum and actually and it's not it's not just because of of whiskey i guess scotch gets the the international attention but gin is a huge thing right that's true in the UK and it has been for quite a while now so while yeah whiskey is, is a gigantic industry in Scotland uh, and a lot of it gets gets exported it brings 
and a very significant amount of money in, into the economy. Yeah, the, the whiskey distilleries tend to be quite large, and you know they're they're multi million pounds uh, operations. Diageo or um, Bichontorio or whatever. They're, they're not a huge number of like truly independently owned mm. uh, distilleries in uh, Scottish distilleries. Whereas you look at, at gin and most of the gin distilleries are new, small craft. Yeah, are, are yeah. like my, my kind of scale. Right. Yeah. They're right. uh, one, two, five mm. person outfits. Um, but some gin brands have gone, gone massive. Uh, and some of those have been, have been attached to whiskey distilleries because they are ways that a whiskey distillery can make money if they're if they're new um, until they've got something Age, uh, well, yeah. something that's actually yeah. whiskey uh, yeah. to sell. So yeah, and to, so whiskey and gin are like the the default position for if you're making a uh, if you're making a clear liquid is is gin. If you're making a brown liquid is whiskey. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing a stall or yeah, I'm doing something and they see you know. A clear bottle of liquid on the table, even though it says rum on the label, and my, you know, all the all the stuff says rum on on the stall. Yeah, like, oh, gin. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, this like, is a weird gin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, and a lot of people just see just see it and just assume it's something. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get. So there's a lot of surprise. A lot of like. So yeah, usually people ask, so so why rum? And I mean, apart from why not? It's you know, my, my process for signing the do rum was that uh, gin was already a saturated market. So I, yeah. I didn't, when I was looking at this five years ago, gin was saturated even then. And it's even more so now. Uh, whiskey is super expensive to, to do, uh, both capital costs and, you know, your cash flow from cash flow point of view. So, uh, and just this point, you know, being Scottish, you know, I'm not really a big whiskey drinker, big whiskey fan, never have mm-hmm. been. So. It kind of wasn't really on my radar to, to do something like that. So yeah, gin, uh, sorry, <laughs> even I said it. Uh, <laughs> so rum was kind of not the default, you know, well, what else am I going to make kind of thing? But it, it seemed to make sense. You know, it's something which in, in the UK, you don't have to age in order to pull it rum. You can you can just distill a yep. bottle of aged product, call it rum, so you can get a product out there. You can flavor it up if you want to, and you can age it. Uh, so you can, you can do all the things with it. It is, it is a really versatile spirit. And then, yeah, then having got into the category and then seeing what, what the category's like, you realize just how, just what a great category it is. You know, so diverse. The community around it is fantastic by and large. And so I, I guess there's also, there's, there's a thing there about, you know, some, some people will, usually they ask this question and I'll give an answer and that satisfies them. A couple of people doesn't matter what you say to them, they will just not accept it. Mm-hmm. Is um, I do get asked, so can you make rum in Scotland? Right. There's this, you know, association mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. rum or sugarcane spirits, yep, come from hot places in the world, which is totally fine. Right. Uh, and uh, they, they in, in Scotland, because we can't grow cane, sugarcane right. here, then how, how can it be a, how can it be rum? How can it be a Scottish rum? They're like, well, you know, the, Scotch whiskey industry isn't isn't based entirely on Scottish grown grain, yeah, or even yeah. made grain. Grain, and a lot of it gets gets imported. So if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna set the the, the standard as your raw material has to be grown in the country it's distilled in, then you wouldn't have a Scotch industry as large as it is in Scotland either. Yeah, 
Well, sure. and rum rum has a long history. I mean, you know, it was made in the states in the 1700s. So, I mean, it has a long history of molasses going to other places and being distilled. Um, right. Even if maybe this is kind of the first time for Scotland. And well, and so it's not the first time for Scotland. Um, rum was made in Scotland in the 17th century. Really? Wow. Mid, mid, mid to late 1600s. That's fascinating. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you know, this is something which I, I learned a couple of years ago. Uh, and there, there are guys who will tell you much more detail about this, but the, the association, I guess, is kind of obvious, um, that at the time with the uh, British empire, we were, or Scotland rather, was sending textiles to West Africa, mm-hmm. um, trading textiles for slaves to go to the Caribbean, uh, where they work on plantations to produce, uh, sugar to come back to Scotland. So. Scotland didn't, you know, Scotland gets kind of, it doesn't quite, it doesn't really quite get free pass. The people tend to forget about Scotland and its role within the slave trade because sure. there's, no, there's no direct slave trading in and out of any ports uh, in mm. Scotland, if I remember that right. They definitely got from Glasgow. So places like Liverpool, for example, was was tra- trading slaves. Um, but in Scotland, that, that didn't happen. However, it was still linked because we were, using uh, Scottish produce mm-hmm. to send abroad to trade for slaves. Although they never landed here, we were all, we were linked to it. And a lot of, you know, uh, street names in Edinburgh and Glasgow, a lot of um, well-known names from that period, you know, were all slave owners. And the reason there were streets named after them is because all the, you know, money they, made the money, from slavery, yeah. they back into, into the cities they, they lived in. So. So yeah, so it's a rum, there, there's a bunch of sugar houses in Glasgow where rum, rum was brought in from the Caribbean and uh, refines, uh, was it refines? Yeah, I think refined further and, uh, but they started to convert into, well, into rum or, or the version, version yeah. rum anyway. So I don't think they converted it to molasses before they, they made rum from it. So I think they were taking sugar and making it straight, uh, straight from sugar. Oh, mm. interesting. Okay. So well, possibly not rum as you would allow it now, but, right. um, but it was referred to as, as rum and it's, it ended up being more popular than scotch than the whiskey at the time. Oh, wow. So there was an active parliament apparently that, uh, this, the Scotch industry at the time, uh, lobbied to have rum production banned in Scotland <laughs> and they sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right. you, you see, like, the more you go into the history of rum and stuff, you see that in a lot of different places, even in some of the Spanish colonies that, you know, are no longer Spanish colonies, but now those countries make rum. There are a lot of times where there were periods where rum production was outlawed and, you know, places like Puerto Rico and stuff like yeah. that, because, you know, they didn't want it to compete with brandy and, and things like that, that the, you know, wealthy people in the, the, the main country were making a lot of money off of. But yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's all a story for another podcast, probably. Yeah. But that's that's really interesting because I actually I didn't know that that Scotland had that rum making past. That's interesting to note, and especially that it was from you know more refined sugar as opposed to molasses. Which mm. I do think I think in the EU I think that's not allowed to be called rum. Um, mm. In the US, you can use any byproduct and call right. it rum. So there's plenty of craft distilleries here who use you crystallized know, sugar. Yeah, crystallized sugar mm. at, at various levels of being refined, you know, sometimes it's very unrefined and, you know, sometimes people just use straight up, you know, refined sugar, which, you know, usually doesn't 
lead to a very characterful spirit, but it can still be legally called rum in the U.S. So yeah, the the, the rules in in the EU um, to which still should apply in UK now, yeah, are, are officially liquid byproducts of of K production. So, right. but but there are just, there are distilleries in the UK who I guess go into kind of gray areas with this, and um, some who don't, some who outright just use the wrong things mm-hmm. um but because no one really not a lot of enforcement it. yeah mm. <laughs> so it's all so we we don't have um forgive me for misremembering the name of them so the ttb yes the, the ttb yeah, yeah. in yeah. the states yeah so, so we we don't have a direct equivalent here okay so if you if you have a, a product that you want to release you just do your labels and print them and stick on a bottle oh and my gosh can, Wow! So many American distillers right now listening to this are uh, <laughs> are, 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 are extremely jealous. I think in it's in the theory they they need to comply. There are obviously rules that they need to comply with, um, but there there's a mismatch of government bodies that are responsible for for the labelling on food and drink products, mm. and but they're all responsible for different bits of what goes on a label. So it's never very clear who's actually policing these things and, and who is so and 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 what counts is rum because rum's a relatively unknown spirit in the UK is yeah is, is challenging so anyway but yeah I mean rum, rum production in Scotland it, it ended basically with with the end of slavery so and hmm. um, there, there's a big big gap from where uh, imported sugar was no longer so cheap that you could just convert it into alcohol so yeah, rum production basically yeah. slid away. So uh, Dark Matter were the first modern rum distillery to, to get going. Um, and they've been on the go for six or seven years now. So, uh, and I think there is, in England, I think there is a rum distillery, or rather a distillery that started making rum maybe seven or eight years ago there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the English they're complaining, I think they, they started. So it's it's still very, very... I mean, the, the gin boom has been going on for about 14 years now, uh, mm. 15 years. So rum, rum is still, in terms of producing in the UK, still very, very new. Yeah, uh, And therefore, it does surprise people when you tell them that that's what's made. Usually, yeah. all, all the rum drinkers find the woodwork at that point. You know, you go, I've, I've gone and done like, been in like gin tasting events as like the only rum producer there. And so there's always somewhat in like, the group of friends go around to be like, oh, rum, but there was it's like, rum, oh, yeah. yeah. Or the rum drinker. And, you know, they, they've just been like tagging along, you know, drinking gin because it's yeah. all made to drink with. And, You're ahead of the uh, curve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kit, before we get to some of the more technical things uh, with, with how you're producing what you're doing there, I, I want to ask a, a decidedly untechnical question that I had uh, purely of my own interest here after reading the Fat Rum Pirate uh, interview uh, with you he did a couple of years back. He mentioned you sent out some samples. So I assume this is, you know, you're just getting going, you're getting your stuff. He sent out, he said that you sent out samples with obscene names on them. And I, <laughs> I'm not sure whether we can include that here or not, but I just had to ask, um, was that like an intentional strategy on your part to like do that? <laughs> like, Viral uh, marketing. Or, or, was it like just your personality? Like, I, I mean, I imagine things like donkey piss, or I, I have no idea what what obscene names ne- mean. But mm-hmm. what, what was that about? Uh, I'm trying to remember now what what they were. I think I, I think I sent out two. I sent out two bottles, two soft bottles. I can't remember exactly what they were, but yeah, they were probably 
far, far too rude, even for the swear jar. On, on <laughs> um, but I think, I think that's, that's my, that's my, um, I guess that's my personality. Yeah. I don't, or in, in, in the background, obviously I take my business very seriously, but as a, as a person, I don't take myself or I try not to take myself too seriously. And I guess I like to think I have a sense of humor. So I, I like, you know, my, my, um, my business, my brand is, is kind of me. I haven't hidden away behind my branding and just had, you know, my, my branding is great, but it's, it's linked to, to me right. and my family. So, and I don't know, I, I guess I just put myself right in the forefront of, of my business. And with that comes for better or worse, my personality. <laughs> obscene sample uh, names. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's obscene sample names. So I, so I wouldn't do that to everyone, but I, I guess I felt, I can't remember. I, I actually didn't know what it was. I hadn't, I hadn't sent them directly to Wes. I'd send them to probably actually to Ross at Sugar House and he'd pass them on for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really for, for Ross and then he, well, that's the danger. Didn't right? go to the intended <laughs> audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but having met Wes not long after I launched, yeah, I, I, I knew that he was, he was, he was the kind great. of guy who yeah. would find those things funny. So, and, and I, and that's what I like is that a lot of people in their own kind of community. Yeah, are are just good fun. Like they're it's not mm-hmm. this very kind of button down, you know, we're taking mm-hmm. things way too seriously. Not as stuffy. But industry. Yeah. Um, which perhaps other spirits uh, might be guilty of. I mean I know that Run has this maybe it's a maybe it's an unwanted reputation for being a fun spirit and therefore people don't take it seriously as a as a proper quality liquid. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time it, it does it does help, you know, it, it removes hopefully those the barriers of people thinking, oh, it's too, too stocky. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, there's not this kind of gatekeeping of mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. stuffy old man kind of thing. So I like to think in some way that I, I'm part of that, that, that kind of ethos, you know, yeah. part of that kind of culture. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and with that come, comes, um, you know, quite open. I've actually said earlier, I, I'm, I'm quite open about what I do, how I do it. So I'm, I'm very honest and I'm as, I'm as transparent as, as I can be, uh, about stuff I do. And I think that definitely helps, particularly with that kind of series from Victor's people are really invested in, in the category. They just hoover up all that knowledge and information, uh, and I'm happy to, to give it. On that note, um, I know we talked about your production a little bit earlier when you were telling us about the, the new fermentation you have going. And one thing I'm always interested in with newer distilleries is just how much, you know, tweaking, experimentation, are, are they still doing? Like, do you feel like you have everything locked in at this point? It sounds like I imagine you do have production practices locked in for your standard products, but you're still trying other things along the way, mm-hmm. which is really cool. But I wanted to see if you could just kind of give us a, a quick walkthrough of sort of what your production process is like, just, you know, going from, from fermentation to distillation and, you know, how long you're fermenting and, and that kind of thing. So, yes, so I, I ferment and distill from scratch. Uh, so I, I'm using you know, sugarcane molasses, which is from the supplier tells me that it's mostly Algerian. So it's a North African molasses. However, when you ask for an exact makeup of the blends they'll just they just send me this huge list of right could be from any of these places mm-hmm. you know, right 
so yeah, I'd, so that, that's what I use as, as my as my base, um, thousand liters at a time, and that goes into the into the fermenter um, along with uh, yeah, along with my water, and I use two different yeasts as well. One yeast is more for cane yield um, and and a quick fermentation, and the other one is to bring more flavor hmm, okay. into it. So yep, so I use two different yeasts, so they pitched at the same time. And I use uh, two types of nutrients as well to, again, accelerate the, the fermentation time. Um, without those nutrients, uh, so with those nutrients, I can do like a three or four day fermentation is kind of a standard fermentation time for me. If I lose one of those nutrients uh, and just, just use one on it, it's about seven day fermentation. I've never done one without nutrients addition, but I know having to see what other UK rum producers do, who I'm assuming don't nutrients dose. Mm. We're looking at two, three wheat fermentations. Mm. So I had some doing, I'm doing a short fermentation and that, that decision was, again, it was a commercial one moves. Mm. You know, I, I need to be potentially trying to smash through as much liquid as, right. as like, can't as wait like, two weeks yeah. to yeah. between yeah, the distillation. Right. So that's, that was always the, the philosophy when I was doing my recipe process development was, and that, that doesn't necessarily sacrifice flavor either. It's not a, and that's what I learned in, in that process was that, and through speaking to people, was that I didn't, just because I'm doing a really quick fermentation doesn't mean that I'm, I'm loosening eggs or anything. Right, right, yeah. And particularly if you look at like Caribbean distilleries, they're doing like one and a half day fermentations, mm-hmm. super quick. And no one's going to say that, you know, <laughs> there's no flavor or you're lacking flavor from like a Jamaican rum or something. So, sure. Yeah, then, it's not always simple as just saying like, oh, you know, oh, you didn't ferment for a month. You, you know, your rum must not be very flavorful. Like, yeah, yeah. That's there's fine. a like a big spectrum of of flavor there. But there's there's, there's so many variables that go go into it. Yeah, each one affects and how it turns out. So. Yeah. So yeah, um, three four day fermentation. I then I so that that tank behind me. I'm afraid I'm going to do this in in the correct numbers. <laughs> so this is a one and a half thousand liter. The uh, correct numbers. That's <laughs> <great>. Sorry. <laughs> Go, keep going. Sorry, I just had to remark on that. We, I agree personally. You know, as an American, I think it makes more sense. Yeah, I think Willie, you won't get any thing. argument from us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't really matter? I guess just uh, I guess it's, it's down in proportions. So right. this is one. This is one and a half thousand liters, fifteen hundred liters. Uh, my still, it's a pot hybrid, mm-hmm. uh, common hybrid. The pot is only five hundred liters. So I do, I do double distillation. So I do stripping runs first to strip all the, strip the alcohol out, out of the, out of the watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, this ends up with about nine to 10% ABV. Okay. Um, by tire stunt for running. So, uh, I have to do 500 liter batches in my pot to work my way through what's in that, that tank, which is the, I guess the main kind of bottleneck of my production here mm-hmm. is I'm single still and it's quite small. It's too small, really. I know now uh, for what I'm trying to do here. So, so it basically takes like three, three to separate distillation. Yeah, yeah, that's to right. Get through, three, to get through a batch. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, and each one has a has a heat up time, so right. there's a lot of you know energy spent doing that. And then, like today, I did two of those distillations today, which means being in here at seven o'clock in the morning, uh, and then yeah, finishing. Well, today I finished. I made sure I was finished in time for for this, so I finished. Early-ish, so yeah, it's it's they're they're long long days. So having done a, done a stripping run, stripping runs, the, I redistill those or distill those low wines that get produced off the 
off the shipping run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just go back into the pot and I use the, I send the bed from the pots through a little four plate rectifying column. Uh, and I distill to my final rum strength is like about 90 to 90.5% BBV. Okay. Uh, come there, off the column. So yeah, that, so that whole process is say six days to, to produce a, a spirit bottle still. And then depending what products I'm producing off that, I need to do a water, I need to have dilute down, and I try and do that reasonably slowly. So try and do like 10 or 15% ABV drops every day. Okay. And it's quite hot mm. generally. So that can take maybe another four or five days to get down to say uh, 40%, uh, which is, or was when I was bottling ass. It is the strength of my spice from is ass. So yeah, so the whole process is like a week and a half to, to two weeks. Uh, and out of that, I may produce something like 350 bottles is probably the, the limit on a single batch. So yeah, so it, it's, it's super, super small, but a lot of work goes into, into producing that. And what I know you've done a few kind of, uh, I think you've called them like experimental age releases. Uh, what's kind of the current status of, of your aging program? How many casks do you have currently? And, and what are kind of the, the, I don't know, five-year outlook or so for aged releases? So the last question I can't answer because I can't even think that far ahead. So <laughs> sure. I went too many years out in the future. So maybe we could say 12-month outlook. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the cast aging program, uh, if, that's, if we want to call it that. We um, can call it that. We can call it is, that. Don't sell it short. <laughs> is extremely ad hoc. It's, um, yeah. And so so what, what I have in, in um, so I have a separate building to here. Where I am just now, by the way, used to be a cow chest. This is where cows just get brought into the milked. Um, okay, I, I thought you were about to say slaughtered. Uh, milked, <laughs> milked is much more positive, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, no, milk. no they, they, went, they went back out alive. So, okay. um, so yeah, uh, so this used to be a, a cow shed. Uh, but this was the original one. It was quite small. The building next door that has my casks in is, uh, was a later addition, uh, or was built in the 1950s, I think, uh, and took... Uh, by double, more double, uh, facts quadruple, sorry, what you would fit it in here. Okay. So as a, as a warehouse space, it's quite, it's quite good. Uh, what's one sweet sort of converted it. Um, so there's space in there for about 300 standard barrels. Okay. Well, however, there's only, I think about 25 casts in there at the moment. And there's a whole mixture of stuff, uh, in there just now. Do you have, do, do you have different sizes or did you go straight to doing 53 gallon? Uh, so I went, I went straight, straight standard barrel. Okay. Um, and that's what I want to continue yeah. filling, but that's, that's very challenging for me. A, a standard barrel requires me to do two batches to get enough liquid to, to right, sell. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's not like every batch is, is a barrel's worth, um, which is frustrating. It takes me a long time to get, to build up stock. So yeah, I started with standard barrels. I started with, with Virgin Oak as well, uh, Virgin American Oak. Interesting. Yeah. It, uh, so and again, this is this is my utter naivety in this. So I, I thought, well, I'll start with so I'll start with Virgin Oak, and my reasoning behind that was that I wanted to see, without any other spirit influence, what ah, I then do right. one of those kind of barrels. the purest kind of form of an aged spirit that you're making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then from from there, see you know what to start adding in like X Farbred or X Whiskey mm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where things go, yeah. What's right, the influence? Right. Uh-huh. However, what, what I didn't what I didn't know at the time, but ended up being quite 
fortuitous, like, and of course, our company's knowledge now is that obviously with a, with a virgin barrel, you mature much more quickly. Yeah, right. So you get a lot more of that oak. Yeah. Right. And because there's no minimum aging time to run in, in the EU and in the UK, mm-hmm. then if you do, like, a relatively, I was going to say, unaged, um, relatively young. Right. Uh, like spirits. a six month or, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I, I did uh, my first, like, official experimental cast series release. Uh, so single cast. Yeah, it was, it was a year old. It was a 12 months mm-hmm. margin of which went down very well, it was very well received, well enough that about six months later, the uh, Pete actually put me in touch with Atom Brands, you know, that he represents. Yeah. And uh-huh. we did a boutique run bottling of what I ran at just under a year and a half. That was cool. Were you, were you expecting something like that to happen so early? Or that, was that a big <laughs> surprise? Yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was a big surprise. I, I felt very, very flattered that uh, Batiki would want to come and, yeah, and show off, show off on the liquids. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and I actually have got, so this is my, my open bottle here. Uh, Pete and I had a lot of fun so with the label. Yeah, what is, what is that? Can you describe the label? Uh, so the label has, so to, to set the context for this, uh, <laughs> my my brand is uh, a six-winged angel. So it's, it's a seraphim. Yeah, okay. I wanted to ask about that later. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, yeah. So, uh, and the seraphim is my family crest. So, as a uh, brothers, okay, uh, on a on a coat of arms. If, if you were to have a coat of arms as a, as a brothers, then at the top would be this this seraphim. Um, mm. So, so that, that's that's the brand. When P and I were were discussing it, he wanted to to put the angel on, and, and that's that's totally fine. The angel needs to be there, and we were sort of spitballing some ideas. Uh, we wanted to have um, I have a distillery cat uh, called Watson. <laughs> uh, Watson, Watson's my cat, and he he does a little bit of social media stuff <laughs> for me. So knows. you've never just been truly a one man operation, Watson. There you go, one man, one there. cat. Yeah. <laughs> so well, Watson kind of kind of features as well, and <laughs> yeah. So so the the label ends up being basically it's a it's a shield with kind of ribbons around it, which is how a coat of arms would look. So a coat of arms would have. Um, Whatever the crest at the top, right? You have a shield, mm-hmm. which has the, the shield is basically the unique bits of the coat of arms. So every individual have a different thing on the shield, and then you have a motto on underneath. So the shield makes up the the main design, and within that shield, there's basically me, Watson the cat, uh, an angel, six winged angel, and Pete Holland all doing like a Scottish jig, like a Scottish country <laughs> dance. Uh, and Watson's in his kilts, and um, yeah, Great. and then, then underneath it, it just shows like the the still it's barrels. Uh, there's like I think there's a bag. There's an overflowing bag of carbon. Uh, <laughs> carbon perfect. Yeah. Bag. <laughs> uh, and then in the corners of the shields, there's uh, Robert Bruce uh, mm-hmm. because uh, Robert Bruce gave my family lands about eight hundred years ago. Wow! Wow! Just be the link link to him. And then the other corner is um, Old King Cole. Do you know that nursery rhyme? Um, old King Cole's Merry Old Soul. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. So that that was kind of, I guess, kind of loosely based on a Viking king, I think, called uh, Cole Hen. And apparently we may be linked to Cole Hen in some way. Oh. So therefore, Old King Cole kind of features within our family um, lore, I suppose. I was so, about to say, there's so much lore behind yeah, this yeah. label. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, so yeah. it was, 
there's loads of really like fun fun detail uh, yeah. on there so yeah pete and i did a lot of fun with that one mm. i just love that i have a mental image of you like you know tasting a batch of your rum as it comes out and then turning to the cat and saying elementary my dear watson <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I haven't but i will <laughs> <laughs> so kid as a as a kind of a micro distillery if is that the right term i can use that mm-hmm. um we know i think Batch consistency, I would yeah. think, can sometimes be a challenge. And you've already said, you you know, you experiment a lot and you're figuring out, although I'm sure you have a baseline now. Is that something you focus on reducing at all? Or do you kind of just accept there's going to be batch consistency things and lean into it? Or how do you approach that, given the small scale of what you're doing? So consistency was one of my, was one of my big worries when I was building, building a place and, and conceiving the idea was, how, how would I know that what I was producing was consistent. Um, and it wasn't mm-hmm. like wildly different every time I did right. it. Was my palate doing good enough to, to figure that out? So my, my approach to it is that I, I try and do, at least the, on the fermentation side, I try and ferment differently. Sorry, differently, the same every mm-hmm. single time. Except least, today. Except, uh, except, <laughs> yeah, except this match. So, um, so I just, I wanted to build a recipe. I'm just basically trying to stuck with it. I, I have tweaked, tweaked a little bit, but it's largely just um, that's more process side rather than labor side. It's really just uh, either make the life easier or, or whatever. So, and then on, on the distillation side, I try and distill the same every time. However, basically every every batch I do will will be different because mm-hmm. of the proportion of low lines and faints um, mm-hmm. that they're, they're clocked still. So I end up accumulating faints in the, the tank. Which so, some people might refer to faints as tails, correct? Well, so, so my, my faints are basically heads and tails. So, okay. I, so gotcha. they're four shots and tails, really. Okay. Um, so they're, they're, they're what I call, call faints. So they, they accumulate, and which means that when I come to do distillations, there's more and more proportion, larger proportion of them. But I don't think it significantly changes the, maybe it does like batch to batch. It will change kind of my, it might change the profile slightly, but it's still still my rum. Like it's still sticking my rum. Right. Yeah. It's all it's all better or worse for it. So yeah, I, I basically I, I don't change the recipe up, and, then, and so I basically try and stick to the same same kind of thing. However, if I'm putting away things in the barrels, I may play around with doing other things, so I can redistill flakes, for example, that I went in the casks, or I could do like I'm doing now, and maybe start playing with fermentation or uh, or distillation. Um, all my all my rums are run through the column, but I can bypass the column um, and just do a straight pop distilled product, uh, which gives uh, you know it's less, less rectified and so maybe more characterful product, but I get a lower, a lower yield on it. So I'm reluctant to do it because it already takes me a long time to produce <laughs> produce my spirits. So I'm yeah. trying to, if I'm going to go to all that effort, I want to get as much out of it as I can. So, but there, there's there's things there to, to Play with, but if I'm playing with stuff, I build away into the casks, and I can do the whole like single cask stuff. Mm-hmm. So when when it comes to cask aged rum, then at the moment anyway, um, basically everything that I have released has been different in yeah, some way. That right? makes that's sense. totally fine. You yeah. know, that's 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 great. In fact, that's that's a really good thing because yeah. it urges people to to oh try the next thing and see exactly yeah, right. right. Fine. So and actually that kind of goes back to what we were asking about my cask for rum. Is that I've got a whole variety of stuff from virgin oak through to ex bourbon. There's Jack Daniels in there. 
most of it's standard barrel, but I've got some octaves, quarter casts that were X Oloroso, X Spaceflight Whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Uh, I've got some, I've got an XTR, uh, for the whiskey, X Whiskey casts. Uh, and, and I now have, uh, I, I don't know if you pick this up on my social media, but I have some, my oak barrels made with oak from the estate. So, oh, you know, cool. when you said there was, there was a uh, forestry type stuff, I, my mind kind of went there and wondered if you're doing that. So, yeah. What, so for, what's the process for making your own barrels? <laughs> Long. <laughs> uh, four, yeah, four years ago, before I'd even made a drop or run, we found some oak on the estate that was probably, it would have blown down or died or diseased or rusted anyway. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there's not much oak on the estates, we decided to to cut that oak down. Yeah, that was felled, milled, so compressed into boards mm-hmm. and dried. Been, they've been sitting drying for like the last four years. And then finally, I had to add some money to, to get the cooperage. So yeah. I sent it to the cooperage in, in Yorkshire. Uh, and yeah, I got nine standard barrels out of the oak sets them. That's so, very cool. Sweet. Yeah. Not many people can say, yeah. you know, I mean, you see a lot of kind of single estate distilleries, but but even those, I would say most of the time, they're not making barrels from wood that was grown on the right. estate. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's when, yes, aside, aside from that, that fact, you know, there's not even any Scottish oak barrels drained anywhere. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you hear American oak, you hear French oak, French, um, right. sometimes you hear like Hungarian oak and stuff mm-hmm. like yeah, that, yeah. but I've never mm-hmm. heard you know, Scottish oak barrels. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how they do. One, one is it, one's a little bit leaky at the moment, but I think that's just because of the temperature. I think it's just so, so hot. Just now, um, I had two hundred liter casts made as well, which were made from beach. Oh, so a totally different woods. And yeah. so that's very, that's very much experimental, uh, just to see. Well, it's all experimental, but this is <laughs> it's even, even more, more experimental. Yeah. yeah. It's extra experimental. <laughs> It's experimental. Uh, so experimental that the, the coopers who have you know decades of experience between them had never worked on beach before. So this is oh wow. <laughs> what is it, when you bring it to them and you say, "Can you do something with this?" Are they excited about doing it? Or are they like, yeah, "What are you yeah. giving me this They're for?" Like, yeah, we can build a doghouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they were they were like, "Yep, we'll we'll do it." Yeah, awesome. I think they they just loved working with wood. They love their craft. I think they like being challenged. So. Because otherwise, for a lot of these, not these coopers um, in the UK anyway, most of what they end up doing is breaking apart, repair, uh, yeah, yeah, and, re- and repairing ex bourbon barrels, or they're used to, yeah, they get very standardized oak and they're building new from stuff they're just used to. Yeah. So uh, obviously, there's a lot of skill goes into that, but I guess a lot of it they can kind of maybe switch off, so they just they're just doing their thing. Whereas if they get something that's totally out there. Oh, we've never done this before. New challenge. They chilled, and they want to, because they're, 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 they're craftsmen. Yeah. Really, you know, the, the, the craft, the skill that goes into it is phenomenal. So like I get eight craftsmen, you know, they, they love just doing wacky shits. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I took, I took some chestnuts to them as well. And some horse oh. chestnuts. I knew that it wasn't good. I wasn't going to get some barrels made to put rum into because horse mm-hmm. chestnut is probably poisonous because of tannins. But I asked if they could make my little display one. And they tried and they could, they, they would just, uh, every time they tried to bend it, they just split. So, well, at least um, that's the poison one. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
One of the reasons we wanted to talk to you, Kit, is uh, you mentioned your social media, and I had seen uh, one of the social media posts recently where you had, I think you referred to it as a brand relaunch. So I wanted to ask you about that recently and what the relaunch was um, and why you pushed that out there and and what's different and and why. Yeah, it's not so much a a brand brand relaunch. It's a product relaunch. I, I was struggling to get the bottle that I have been using for, uh, yeah, from the supplier, it uh, turned out they lost the last UK customer of theirs for that particular bottle before they, they withdrew it from the market. They couldn't so have told you that? They couldn't have told you that when you bought them the first time? Right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> the look on anyway. your face then just said it all, yeah. Yep, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, may, that, that may be what I wrote on uh, my reactions, maybe what I wrote on those bottles to Wes. Uh, right, it was one of the names of the samples was the the, the name for that person. There might, might, might be an, an F word and a C word on there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I was struggling to get to re to source my my bottles. So I made a decision, which I would I would normally I guess not have made. I, either you, you do this right at the start of a product or brand was launch, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you do it quite far down the road. Right, got, right. You know, loads of cash and whatever it's doing. But I I, uh, I guess. I guess I sort of forced my own hand on this one was that in order to change for a bottle, I didn't want to, I could have just changed another off the shelf bottle, but I liked how unique my bottle was already. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to source something that was more e- easy to get to then share a similar, not so much aesthetic, but the you know, bottle profile or something to another, another brand. Right. right. Yeah, given that my brand, I think is so strong. Um, I didn't want to dilute it in that way. So right. I embarked on the journey to basically you have a custom bottle made. And so the, the relaunch is relaunching with a new bottle. Got it. So it's all fully custom. So it's all on point with the brands. Yeah. Um, and it's just beautiful plug thing. And with that, I guess came the opportunity to do a tweak of the products that I have as well. Mm-hmm. So when, when I first launched, um, was just with, with an unaged drum, it's like pure single rum, and I bottled that at 40%. And again, going back to my inexperience and mm-hmm. my naivety and so, so on and so forth was that I'd already picked the ABV that I was going to, I was going to sell my run the past yeah. right? because I got some grant funding some some money to help do the design of the bottle and that had to be spent by a certain date and the distillery uh, ended up being operational later than that date. Uh, so I just, I basically had to commit to, I, so I just picked 40, I just picked 40%, 40% seemed a, a reasonable ABV to be right, standard. Yeah. 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 However, this is not to knock my own product at all, but <laughs> my, my on 40% is good, but it's better at higher, higher fruits. Yeah. However, I was kind of committed. I bought 5,000 labels, so I was kind of committed to, to that. But with, with the, there is the relaunch with a new bottle, it's, you know, start again, complete slate. So I've, I've taken my 40% ABV on age running and it'll get relaunched at 46%. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. 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 We, we spent a lot of time talking or not a lot of time talking, but often mention rums at 80 proof that taste good that we think just from going, you know, going mm-hmm. even just a 43% can make a huge yeah. difference. So love to hear 46 though. That's great. Yeah, ideally, I would go a lot higher. I, I sell rum in bulk to a couple of bars in London, um, Merchant House and Black Parrot, and I sell to them at overproof, so 57.4%. Okay. Sweet. 
and it is really good at that. However, with all the, the tax implication that the duty you've got to pay, right. that ends up being quite a big liability on a, just on a bottle. And therefore, either you have to take quite a big hits on the margin for it, or you have to mm. charge appropriately, in right, which case right. both are not really attractive. But right. at least as a, as a regular core product, I will almost certainly do an overproof release in, in my own bottle because it is, it is really good up on strength. But 446 is a, is a good balance of, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's a bit of extra in there and, yeah. and it's in commercially, it works for me. So, so yeah, there's, so there's that. And then the, my, I've got my splash drum as well, which I'm not changing as stainless it is. But, uh, with the relaunch comes, uh, a new aged product as well. So, ah. and that's the start of what I hope to be a kind of core range of, of aged products. Uh, so rather than single cast experimental stuff. This will be standard or reasonably standard products uh, going forward, but uh, I'm not quite sure how to manage that because I don't know how well it's going to sell. It's kind of, it should be between one and a half or between one and two years of aging in uh, virgin barrels or refilled virgin barrels, if that makes okay. sense. Like a um, second fill, mm-hmm. not, not technically a virgin barrel, but it's had nothing else. Like a used rum barrel, or, basically. Yeah, yeah it's a used mm-hmm. barrel. And then eventually I'll progress into that experiment uh, in, in a few years. So yeah, maybe another two or three years, I should have some, some experiment stuff that, that should be ready to either replace it or start blending in with it. But I won't, I get it. I don't know what I'm going to do with that until <laughs> till the time comes. And ha- have you filled any of those... Uh, Scottish oak barrels yet? Built two so far. Yeah, that's built cool. two, two of the oak and filled two beach barrels. Yeah, nice. I'll, I'll be really interested to yeah. see uh, see how those turn out. Yeah, me, me too. I, I don't think it's anyone <laughs> who's like, oh, uh, it's really shit. And, you know, it's not really worth the waste. But yeah, we'll have to see. I, and I'll have to decide what I'm going to do with those as well because I know that two two or three years in, in that will be really good for how they're going to taste. But given I've got like nine of them, I don't want to just release like all nine and basically they're all basically the same. Right. And I think when they get to two or three years, I'd, I'd like to re-rack them into, into their own, you know, each barrel appears in this one. So whether we do yeah. like port, sherry, brandy, gotcha. yeah. wine, whiskey, ex-bourbon, mm-hmm. uh, and then they can all just, but at that point, they then just diverge and they just go and do their own, their own things. Um, I think it's kind of what I see in my head. That's about as far as far as, far as, like, as I'm thinking at the moment. Yeah, sounds yeah. like the it's ninefold cool. barrels there. The yeah, nine, that's nine true. I didn't barrels. think about yeah, nine, yeah, nine yeah, barrels, nine gold. It's, it's all coming together. <laughs> I'm available for hire on your marketing team. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, Kit, I know you've been braving the high temperatures over there for this interview. We won't make you uh, uh, sit here too much longer. Um, it's been great learning more about Ninefold and everything. And um, like I was just saying then, a lot of exciting things, I think, for people to to look forward to coming out in the coming years. But um, yeah. before we go, we do have a tradition here on the Rumcast. It's a, a rapid fire round of questions. Um, sometimes this can be where, you know, the curse words fly. They just pop out as the first thing that comes to mind. So it, it, we might have to get the little ding bell working on overtime. But if you're up for it, I will let John tell you about that segment now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the best at things on my feet, but um, sure. Perfect. Sometimes that's the best uh, type of person to do this, right? Exactly. Already. <laughs> All right. So, All right. Will? Yep, I've got 60 seconds and go. All right. Neat or on the rocks? Uh, neat. Okay. Column, pot, or blend? Depends. 
Depends is a good answer. All right. <laughs> aged or unaged? Uh, I, I guess it depends. Mm, but I, no, but I will commit to an answer of uh, aged. Yep. Okay. Glasgow or Edinburgh? Oof. That's a toughie. Edinburgh was was my old home for a long time. So we'll go with that. I, I adore it. However, uh, I prefer Glasgow there. Wow. Surprise twist. Yes. <laughs> All right. Your favorite bottle of rum for a special occasion? Um, Hamden uh, eight. Yeah, the yeah. green label. That's one yep. of my favorites. It's a great choice. All right. Do you ever lie awake at night with the irrational fear that someone will try to launch a rum brand called Tenfold? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, not specifically. Um, <laughs> but now that I put it in your head. <laughs> but the, the anxiety is there now, yeah. <laughs> Which Scottish accent or dialect are you most partial to? Oh, wow. Uh, uh, pro- probably probably Glaswegian. Yeah, I was going to say, you said Glasgow, so maybe Glaswegian. <laughs> All right. And finally, if Kit Carruthers had his druthers, rum would blank. <laughs> Unite the world. There oh, we go. Very Rumble good unite the time. world. <laughs> Amen. Perfect. <laughs> you thought and, on your and feet stop that climate last change one. at yeah. the same time. And stop climate change is what Rum would do. <laughs> well, Kit, thank you again for for braving the the scorching temperatures of the the Scottish <laughs> summer for us. I know. Um, bra- braving the swarming horse flies. What were those called? Clegs. Clegs. I looked uh, it up already. Yeah. Colloquially, they're called a cleg. Um, they're giant horse fly. I think. They look up, they're not very, very pleasant. Well, again, we, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. It's great to uh, get get our first Scottish rum distillery on the podcast. So that will you'll always be the first Scottish uh, rum producer on the on the rumcast. So right. you may not have been in the first to Scotland, but you are the first to the rumcast, <laughs> and you'll always have <laughs> that you. honor. Bragging Thank rights. Um, I'm sticking yeah. out all the websites straight away. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thanks, Kit. It's great. Great hanging yeah, out nice with you. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. Bye. All right, so that was our interview with Kit Carruthers. Thanks so much to Kit for joining us. If you want to know more about Ninefold, head over to ninefolddistillery.com and check them out. Plenty more information there. If you want to reach out to Will and I, of course, you can find us on social media all over the place. Will, where are we at on social media? I believe we're at The Rumcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're on YouTube as yes, well. You believe correctly. Yes. If you would like to listen to our episodes on YouTube, you can do that. You can also find us on Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash the rumcast. So we've got some bonus episodes we're publishing there. We've got monthly happy hours we're doing. We're actually, we have one coming up uh, Wednesday, August 31st. So you can join us for that if you'd like. That's patreon.com slash the rumcast there's also a link in the show notes um as always remember uh we do want to hear your rum cake recipes if you have those so send us an email host at rumcast.com and let us know about those but john i think that's it for this week so until next time all right see you next time